Our scripture reading for today is taken from Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. On our time together as we read and think about what we just heard. And Lord, we would ask that your will would be done in our lives, especially as it concerns prayer. And Lord, I pray that you would motivate um, our hearts where we need to be motivated to continual prayer, correct our thinking where it is wrong, remove any, any misunderstanding that might inhibit us from seeing you as completely good and true, overcome any woundedness that is in any of us because of evil earthly fathers. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that by the help of your spirit, you would continue your kind and gentle and holy work within your people. So do that work among us this morning, for without you, we can do nothing. So we are completely dependent upon you. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The words that we just heard uh, carry repetition, ask, seek, and knock. They might be among the more famous words that have been spoken by Jesus and ring in our ears. Um, and Jesus is intended to motivate us into a deeper place of prayer. I, I pray that that would happen in each one of us this morning. Um, we've asked the Lord for that, so I'm trusting that it will. This, this paragraph has often been misunderstood, misquoted, and misapplied, and it has led to confusion. Uh, some of us have heard this passage plucked out of context and used in such a way that the Bible never is intended to use and that God didn't uh, grant this scripture, nor did Jesus intend when he spoke it. And so we have to stop for a moment and think about the context in which we find this passage because you, uh, you may know if you, you can pluck out any verse of scripture and use it in a way that's unhelpful and unfruitful. And we don't want to do that this morning. So here, here's a, a passage which, which can easily, that can easily happen to. 
So we have to pause just for a moment and think about the context that we have here. This is, uh, we're, we're, if you're here with us for the first time, we're making our way through the Gospel of Matthew uh, in the Sermon on the Mount right now and spending some time here. This sermon is spoken to Jesus' disciples. It's spoken to those who have uh, followed Him and are uh, looking to Him for wisdom to understand what it means to live in the kingdom of God and how to conduct lives in accordance with, with the the rules of the kingdom. Standing on this side of history as we are, what this means to us is, this, this is spoken to Christians. Jesus is speaking to those who have surrendered their life to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he's speaking here because of the context you, you heard, Father. And that has been a repeated theme throughout this entire sermon. Our Father. We've heard that many, many times. The people to whom this passage of Scripture is spoken are those who are in a covenant relationship with God the Father. So He is their Father. That's not the case with the entire world. It is the case for those who have submitted themselves to God through Jesus and have then been given the right to become children of God, as we see in the Gospel of John. We have to be given that right. Jesus died to purchase that right. So he's talking to people who are, are, had surrendered to God through Jesus and are in the relationship of having been adopted into his family. You have to have that in order to hear this passage rightly. We've got to understand this is God is Jesus speaking to God's children about this motivation to, to prayer. That's, that's different than just thinking this applies to anybody on the planet. It doesn't. It applies to those who, who Jesus purchased the right to call God the Father. And so what we've seen as we've moved through this chapter is that fact changes everything. When we were back in chapter 5, we saw Jesus explaining the law and its relation to the people of God who are in that relationship. Then we move into chapter 6. We begin to see that, that righteousness gets worked out in very different ways and for very, very different reasons for those who are the children of God. The motivation for doing righteous things is different. It's not to impress people. It is, it is to impress the Father in heaven. And so we don't live our lives as children of God in order to impress one another. We're living to please the Lord. That, that reality, that connection that we have with God the Father changes everything. It changes how we relate to each other. It changes what we do and why we do it. It changes how we spend our money. It it changes the the way in which we pray. It it changes the way in which we fast, as Jesus said. It changes what you do with your treasure, who and what you treasure the most. It also changes uh, the way in which we deal with anxiety. Uh, All of that makes a difference. And then last week we saw, it, it changes how we think about judgment. We don't, because we are a child of God, we realize we are not Him, so we don't sit in the place of, of final judgment, but yet we are called to discernment. We are called, I, I argued last week, Jesus does not prohibit all kinds of judgment. He, he does prohibit some kinds, and, and what He does command is, is probably better referred to as 
discernment. Because we have to discern false teachers from true teachers. Uh, false teaching from true teaching. There's all kinds of discernment that we have. And then in 624, Jesus sort of focuses us on the real question that shapes this understanding of prayer. Which, Matthew 624, no one can serve two masters. Right? He will either hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And the rest of the chapter flows from the assumption that the, the realization and the truth is clear. It is far better to serve God than it is to serve wealth and possessions. And so, for example, serving God delivers from anxiety. Serving God delivers from this place of condemnation and wrong judgment. Serving God grants discernment. And then now, in this portion of Scripture we come to, serving God allows you to have confidence that your prayers will be answered. They will be heard by the God the Father and also answered. And so Jesus makes an argument in these verses that Bob just read. If you want to receive, you must first ask. You want to receive from the Father, you must first ask. Secondly, if even evil fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, then certainly a good God who is in heaven knows how to give even better and, and good gifts to his children. So pray to him for all that you need. So that's the structure of the argument. And some people have thought, this particular passage doesn't relate to the, what has gone before at all. It's probably been chunked in by Matthew as he picked it up somewhere and just plopped it in here because we don't see any kind of train of thought. But I, I don't think that's right. If you think about what Jesus has just said, and we are, we're called to use our brains to think carefully, what has he just said? He, he has said, um, you have to choose. Are you going to treasure God more than wealth and possessions? How are you going to do that? It's very hard to love someone you can't see more than ones you can. And, and yet he also says, don't be anxious about the things of this world. How do you do that? How, how do you actually do that? He then also said, and don't be judgmental, but yet I'm calling you to discernment. How do you do that? Isn't the answer persistent prayer? If, if you find yourself loving the things of this world and your heart is continually pulled. How do you overcome that? Isn't it by means of communion with God in prayer? Or if you find yourself constantly plagued by anxiety, how do you overcome that? Isn't it by constant prayer? Or if, if you find yourself within yourself a constant judgmental spirit, how do you overcome that? Isn't it by constant and continual prayer? I think that's why Jesus goes here. It's because he is saying, you can't do anything of what I'm telling you in this sermon without prayer. Constant communion with God the Father. You need Him to do what He's called you to do. That's what, that's what Jesus, I think, is saying by mentioning prayer here. So let's, let's look at those three steps of the argument and see if this motivates you to prayer. And I want to invite you, while I'm kind of walking us through this, in the back of your mind, would you just be praying, Lord, if, if you want to move my heart in prayer, do it. Would you just ask him, as I move through, if I need to change my mind, would you change it? If I need to have my affections more drawn to you so that I'm more eagerly praying, would you do it? Pray that 
as I walk us through. So let me just read um, the first of seven and eight. But the first, first point, if you want to receive, then ask. That's the first argument that Jesus states is you must first ask if you want to receive. We see it repeated in verses seven and eight. I can't read it as well as Bob did. I wish you could have you come up here and read this again. Bob, that was fantastic. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, this is actually a command. There are three commands here. Jesus is not asking a question. He is calling his people to, to prayer, to seeking, to asking, to knocking. These, these are imperatives. He expects to be obeyed. And it's amazing to me because what this reveals to us is God the Father wants you to talk to him. He wants you coming to Him frequently. It pleases God when His children come to Him and ask Him for what we need. This is, a lot of what we find here is Jesus is revealing to us the character of God the Father. And I want to ask you, what is your thinking about God the Father? How do you think about God? When you, when you picture God in your mind, what's He like? How does he interact with his children? Or does he even interact? I mean, some of us think he's too busy running the universe. He would never interact with me. And Jesus is forcing us to, to think carefully about that because here we see a command to pray. This asking, seeking, and knocking. And, and if you were listening when Bob read that, the, the results are guaranteed. Something will happen. There is certainty here in Jesus' voice. He says it, ask and it will be given to you, right? Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. There's no doubting here. There's no confusion. There's absolute certainty here. Jesus is convinced of something and he wants us to be convinced as well. And so ask, seek, knock. He's commanding us to move in the direction of who? Who's the object of the asking? To whom do we direct our seeking? Or who, to whom, whose door are we knocking? It's, it's the Father. And again, I, I just illustrate or, or reiterate the truthfulness of are you in a saving familial relationship with God the Father? That, that is the fundamental question for having this passage be appealing to you. Is are, are you in that relationship with Him? Because the call here is to a kind of persistent prayer. Jesus wants you persistently praying. We see that again and again because this is all these verbs are written in the present tense. So Jesus is intending to communicate a strong conviction for each one of us to move us into a place of continual prayer. And in fact, the translators of the Holman Christian Standard Bible translate it this way. Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. There's this continual action that is moving in this passage that God wants you to hear constantly praying. I want you always praying. I want you always asking, seeking, and knocking to Him. And in fact, when Luke tells this story, and, and just a quick footnote, 
Often, when you see different accounts of what looks like the same material in Scripture, but it's slightly different or it's varied, keep in mind Jesus is an itinerant preacher, traveling from place to place, many villages, town to town, preaching the same material, but slightly altering it to consider the audience. And in Luke, when he records on another occasion that Jesus told this same truth, taught this same truth to to different uh, circumstances of different people, Jesus used a parable to illustrate the kind of persistence that he is calling us to. And it it is a parable of a, a man who receives a visitor late at night. How many of you have gotten midnight visitors? Right? They show up unannounced. Uh, you knew they were coming, you just had no idea when. This is before cell phones, right? Now all of us, we, we know exactly when people are showing up because we're tracking them the whole way. Um, go back in time a little bit. But with me, a traveler arrives at midnight and the, the host does not have any bread to set before his guest. And so he goes next door to his neighbor and he knocks on the door. It's midnight. And he says... Can I borrow three loaves of bread? And his neighbor uh, says, oh, Come on, man, it's, it's midnight. I'm, I'm in bed. The kids are asleep. I don't want to get up and give you three loaves of bread. So, no, you can't have it. I know. I'm sorry. Please, uh, would you please just give me three loaves of bread? I, I promise I'll pay you back six when I next can. And, and, and eventually, Jesus explains what happens. And in Luke eleven eight, here's what Jesus says is the conclusion to this story. I tell you, though he will not get up out of bed and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So they were friends, but the friendship wasn't quite enough to motivate this guy to get out of bed. But his persistence... Okay, okay, just stop. You're going to wake up the kids. I'll give you three loaves of bread. There you go. See you tomorrow. The persistence worked. Even when there was not much affection in the motivation, Jesus told this in order to move us to prayerful persistence, to seeking and to knocking. And so are we, are we? And if we look at verse 8, Everything that is stated in verse 7 is repeated. It's also in the present tense, but it moves into a participle. And so the literal translation of of verse 8, Matthew 7, 8, I just want to read you Young's literal translation, translate this verse this way. For everyone who is asking does receive, and he who is seeking does find, and to him who is knocking it shall be opened. And so there's this continual pressing of Jesus, emphasizing again and again, persist in prayer, persist in asking, persist in seeking, persist in knocking. And the words themselves indicate a kind of persistent progression to asking takes little effort, right? Would you please stay after the service for a picnic? Please. I just asked you, that doesn't take much, to seek. Liz, I'm seeking you. Would you please stay after the service for... Okay, very good. I went to seeking and also knocking. There's an obstacle now. Something's in the way that we have to move beyond. And Jesus is inviting us to do just that. Don't let anything discourage you from going to God the Father in prayer. 
And so we have this intensification of what is required as Jesus talks about moving in our relationship. Sometimes prayers get answered when you just ask, right? Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're quick. Sometimes it takes a little seeking. It takes movement. It takes energy. It takes diligence. And sometimes it takes knocking, which entails waiting, which we don't do very well, do we? And yet, Knocking entails, I I need to wait. I can't do anything. I I need to wait upon someone else, or I need to wait upon the Lord. He's got to intervene here. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep knocking, but I am going to wait for him. And, And do you ever wonder, why can't God just answer stuff when we ask? I mean, why, why can't he just, I, I just ask, and, and we ask, let there be no rain for the picnic after the service. I asked that this morning. I wish I would have got a text message from God that said, okay, done. No rain. You can throw up the bouncy house. You don't have to worry about it getting wet. Uh, no problem. I, I wish things happened like that, but they don't, do they? God doesn't always answer our prayers like that. We, we have to persist, and sometimes we have to seek. And, and sometimes uh, we wonder why. And, and I think part of the reason is we might have a misunderstanding of God's character. When you're, when you're asking, and, and asking is not being immediately answered, you're seeking, you're still not getting answers, and you're, you're waiting on the Lord, you're knocking, it's not because God is grumpy, and He just doesn't want to deal with you at the moment. right? It, it's not because He lacks significant moral motivation to do what's good, and He needs a little encouragement. Come on, God, do, do, you can do it. Right. And that's, not, that's not what's going on. And, and it's not because God is uninformed and that we need to tell him. If only he knew. That's not the point. Sometimes God delays in answering prayer because we need to be changed. Maybe we're praying with wrong motives. As James says this, James 4.3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Sometimes in the waiting, we actually reveal, I just am asking for the completely wrong reasons. And, and I'm, I'm glad the Lord didn't answer that prayer. Right, sometimes we need to change. Don't mistake God's delay thinking that He needs to change. He needs more information or He needs a little moral encouragement. That, that's not it. So the asking and the seeking, sometimes the communion that is required in the seeking and the knocking is needed to correct us. And we need to be humble enough and patient enough to wait. So if you want to receive... You must first ask. First step in Jesus' argument. Second step in his argument is even evil fathers give good gifts to their children. Right? Even evil fathers give good gifts to their children. So we see this in verses 9 through 11. Here we are. Which of you, if a son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give give good things to those who ask? What's Jesus' point? Even bad dads know how to give good gifts. None of us, well, first of all here, Jesus affirms every father is plagued with the presence of evil in his life. 
All of us are born both with a propensity towards sin and, and marred by sin. Every one of us. This is, is the, what we would say is original sin. All of us are flawed in our character. Every father, every one of you probably have been wounded by your dad. Your father, every one of you, probably in some way you carry some scars from a father who has wounded you because we're all evil. In comparison to God, we are all falling very, very far short. And Jesus is not shy to say, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, so we're all flawed. Every parent, every father, and, and, and even, remember Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, and he's saying, if you who are evil yet know how to give good gifts to your children, and we all do, right? Everybody knows this. I doubt any of you ever ask your father, can we have fish for, for dinner tonight? And, and you got served a, a, a raw rattlesnake drizzled with viper venom. Probably never happened. Or how many of you, if you ever asked your father, um, Dad, can I have some cereal? Some Frosted Flakes. No dad ever said, okay. How about some Frosted Rocks, right? And um, oh, oh, put some milk on it. It'll look nice. And I wonder how many of you kind of think of God in this way. You think... His stuff looks good, but it's really not. His will, and I know the Bible says it's good, but it's really not. I actually know better. I, I don't trust him. Some of us live like that. Some of us pray like that. We, we half-heartedly pray because we know we're supposed to, but deep down within our heart and soul, we don't truly trust that whatever he gives is going to be good. We just don't trust him that well. And I wonder, if you can be convinced that bad dads know how to give good gifts to children, no, no, no father, I bet nobody in this room ever had a dad who gave you a bowl of gravel for breakfast. And yet, when we pray and take our needs to God the Father, are you convinced that whatever he gives is good? That he's going to deliver what you need in the moment, even though you don't know fully? Do you trust that he does? That he does have his sovereign power exercised over this situation? Do you trust him enough that his, uh, whatever he delivers to you is exactly what you're going to need? Do we have that kind of confidence in God the Father? I wonder, I wonder, because if bad dads can give good gifts to their kids, then the final point in the argument is to deeply convince you how good God is in heaven. God the Father in heaven. If, if bad dads know how to give good stuff to their kids, how much more then does a good and perfect heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to his kids? So God is good. The point, the last point in the argument is God is good and so pray persistently. God is good. He is completely good. He is not marred by evil. He has no fault within him. So pray to him with all your might, constantly and persistently. Verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
can't give bad gifts. He can't give a wrong answer. It's impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for Him to be deceptive. He can't. It's against His nature to do anything that is evil. So if we're going to Him persistently in prayer, He will deliver exactly what we need. He will give good gifts, good answers to His children. So think with me. Do you... Go back into your mind. What, what is your image of God? Do you completely trust His goodness? If the situation you've been in over the past week has devastated you, or the past two weeks, and it's been hard and incredibly difficult, are you trusting that His sovereignty is still concerned about your life, the details of your life? That's what Jesus is saying here. He wants us to be so convinced of the goodness of God the Father. Why? So that we will continually pray to Him. He doesn't want you to stop praying. Jesus is moving us as children, as children, remember that, to pray to God the Father consistently. So, in conclusion, one question. Are you one of His children? Are you one of his children? First John, uh, I'm sorry, uh, John chapter 1 verse 12 says that those who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To receive Jesus is to accept him as who he has proclaimed himself to be, who is the Messiah, the resurrected and reigning Lord seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is crucified, buried, and resurrected, and then exalted to the right hand of God the Father. That's who Jesus is. And to receive Him is to believe His death takes care of, of our sins. His dying, His suffering purchased our freedom so that we need not bear the punishment of sin so that we can then be free to enjoy communion with God the Father, just like Him. And so, do, have you received Him? Have you put your faith and your trust in Him as Lord and Savior? And Luke eleven thirteen, again, Jesus tells this same account of, of what we have just been reading in Matthew 7. In Luke, it's, it's a similar story, but Luke adds something that I want you to think about. If you could stand before God today... Every one of you in this room, if you could stand before God today and ask for something, for what would you ask? What would you request? What, what is the greatest gift you could think of? Here's what Luke eleven thirteen says, and this is Jesus, again, talking about the same issue on a different occasion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I, I conclude that receiving the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift any human being could ever receive. Because that is God giving himself to unworthy people because of what Jesus has accomplished. And so he says, you ask him, he will give you his Holy Spirit. He, he will pour his life within you and pour himself out within you. I think that is our greatest need. 
To understand what Jesus has done in securing salvation and atonement and then also looking to him to give us himself who will provide exactly what we need whenever we need it. Because that's the only way anybody can fulfill the requirements of this Sermon on the Mount. We we cannot do this on our own. For, For example, are any of you struggling with the pull of wealth and possessions in this world over serving God? Is that a battle for any of you? Does that, is that a struggle? It's, it's so easy to trust the things we can see, isn't it? And it's so difficult to trust in God whom we can't see. And yet, if we pray, seeking Him with all of our heart, He will give us the heart to do so. Or, as, as we heard Jesus say, seek first my kingdom, the kingdom of God, and His righteousness Is that difficult for anybody in the room? Do you find yourself constantly seeking first the kingdom of God and and his righteousness? What's the answer to that question? How do I do that? Isn't it by continual prayer that God would give me the heart that I need that does desire his kingdom above all things? Or how many of you heard Jesus say, you don't have to live with anxiety. Don't worry about the things of the world. And yet, do we find ourselves struggling with worrying about the things of the world and wrestling with anxiety? How do we overcome that? Is it not by prayer and continual communion with God the Father and and learning to grow and live according to His Spirit who is present within His children? Or maybe you find yourself constantly condemning people, constantly inwardly judging people. If that aspect of your character needs to change. How's that going to happen? Other than, Holy Spirit, will you help me? Will you change me? Will you transform my heart? If, if the affections of our lives go in 10,000 directions that aren't Godward, how do any of us change those things? Isn't it by continual prayer? Going to him constantly saying, Father, please help me. Or those of you in the room who are struggling with secret sin, constantly inwardly struggling, doing the things you don't want to do, how do you change that aspect of yourself and your struggle inwardly? Isn't it by constantly praying, God, this is a sin, I know it is a sin, so change my heart, forgive me, grant me grace, give me wisdom, help me to overcome this? Isn't that how change happens? Who is it within the, the child of God that transforms us from one degree of glory to the next? It is the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why this chapter is here. That's why this paragraph is here. To call us to persistent prayer. Because only God delivers good gifts. And if you go to Him and you persist long enough in whatever you're praying about, If you discover over time this is not being answered, maybe I need to change how I'm praying. Then the Spirit of God will direct you in the right direction. God will direct our prayers. He answers. He is good. He is completely good. So if you ask, He will answer. If you seek Him, He will let you find Him. If you knock continually at the door of God the Father, He will open and let you in to whatever it is that His will is intending for your life. He is a good, good Father. So pray persistently. 
Pray with all of your heart. Let nothing stop you this week. Make a commitment to pray like this. And let nothing stop you. Pray continually. Don't let the rain stop you. Don't let hot dogs and hamburgers stop you. Don't let your spouse stop you. Don't let your kids stop you. Because they can pretty much stop us from doing anything. But don't let work stop you. Don't let traffic stop you. Pray on your way to work. If you find yourself boiling in, in Boston traffic, then pray your way to work. Pray persistently. This is, what, this is taking God with you everywhere you go because His Spirit is in His children. And so make up your mind. I, I, will, I will move in this direction. I will move towards what Jesus is calling us to do. Assuming you are a child of God. If you're not yet a child of God and you don't know where you stand with Jesus, don't leave here today without making certain. There will be people at both prayer stations. We have two, both corners. If you need someone to pray with you about your relationship, if you've got a burden that you can't carry, we want to pray with you and be available to help you walk with the Lord. So let's pray together. I'm just going to ask the worship team just just to stay seated for just a moment and just give us a second to think together. Father, we, we come to you trusting in your goodness. We come to you because we hear our Lord and Savior telling us you are good beyond comprehension. You are so good, we cannot fully comprehend your goodness. And Lord, I ask you, let the truth of your goodness, of your kind and gentle character, sink into our hearts so deeply that we are moved to continually calling out upon you day and night, praying to you, seeking you, asking what's on our mind and heart, and and knocking on your door constantly. Let us go to no other place than to you to meet our needs and to take care of, of, of all of the necessities of life. Father, we don't deny the use of means. Yes, you use other people. Yes, you use other things to take care of us. But may we see your hand in all of that. May we see you, Lord, at work and be convinced that your your goodness overflows to your children. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this instruction. And I pray that it would change how we think about God the Father, how we think about you, and how we think about our prayer life. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen.